And then I kind of got stuck. The bank said, hey, let's slow down a little bit, you know, looking at my financials. And it just looked, I was just going nuts, just buying property really fast. And so really for a while, I mean, it may have been a year. I, I did one deal in a year and that was through private money. I got, you know, that's a whole nother thing is I've done about five deals with private money just through some buddies that have money sitting in their account and it's not really growing much. I created some terms that I felt good about, that they felt good about. And I've done five deals through private money where they they get a percentage back. Uh, but it allows me to go buy property really quick with cash. And it allows my buddies, my private lenders to make a good percentage back on their money in a really short amount of time, usually within about three months. Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast. A show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. Hello, this is Chad Harris, your host for today's episode. All right, welcome everybody. I am uh, really excited. This is episode 36, and today we have a couple of people with us. We have a great guest who's a rock star investor out of Oklahoma City. And we have Chris Mayfield back. Um, he's going to be co-host with me. You may remember him from episode 30. So I'm really excited. You're going to find a lot of great content in here. So welcome, guys. We're good to be here, man. Yeah. 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 Hey, so I'll, I'll do a little intro, Brian, because I, I personally know Brian. Uh, we went to school together, didn't know each other really well. Uh, I was working at a church. He was doing his thing. Then we ended up working, what was it, Brian? Maybe six months together, three months together in Atlanta, yeah. Georgia. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then he went to Houston, and I was in Houston and two different parts of town. Um, and then about a year ago, I could be wrong, uh, a friend of ours, uh, Eric, reconnected us because he both realized we were doing real estate. We eventually got on the phone and just, <clears throat> it was kind of actually cool just to rewind personally and, and real estate and, and catch up. So it's fun to do this. Um, Brian is doing an incredible job. I talk about him all the time uh, with other guys and girls all over the country. Uh, he is what you definitely call a buy and hold guy, um, has a great strategy, understands how to use uh, private money uh, and bring value to those people while uh, at the exact same time, of course, he's building uh, his rental portfolio. So without further ado, let's jump in, Chad. All right, awesome. Well, Brian, I mean, I know kind of where you're at now with, with your investing career, but how did it get started? How did you uh, take that first big leap or get the interest initially? Yeah, so that, <clears throat> this is something that really just, I moved back to Oklahoma City. I was in Houston for 17 years doing full-time ministry. Um, I was the worship leader and doing that. Didn't really know anything about real estate, um, you know, other than you go to the bank and you put down 20%, you get your house and all that. And about probably about three years ago, um, I guess about two and a half years ago, uh, we were remodeling the house that I live in and I was doing a lot of the work myself and my father-in-law uh, was in town and he had just mentioned, man, if you, got to consider doing this like this. You're really good at, at, you know, flipping. And he had seen us do some work to our other houses and all that, but he just was very encouraging. And, and, uh, my mother-in-law and my wife, and, uh, he just said, if you ever want to do something like this or get into rentals or flips or whatever, I'd love to help you. You know, I believe in you and I, I'd love to see you get going. And so he, he kind of let me know what that look like. And really about the same time I met uh, Stephen Van Kallenberg, who the three of us know here in Oklahoma City, he's just a local guru of real estate. He's had 200 plus single family properties, does commercial real estate and just an entrepreneur at heart. But he and I got to know each other through our wives who met because our kids are in school together and all that really about the same time. And it just opened up this whole new world to me that I didn't really know much about. But man, something clicked in my head and my heart. And I was like, I am really interested in this. So I did, you know, kind of the self-education. I read every book I could, you know, starting with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like everybody and listen to every podcast I could and really sat on some private money uh, for about six months and just poured myself into that world, asking guys to go to lunch, grilling them with questions, going to real estate meetings, um, everything I could to kind of saturate myself in that world. But that's kind of how I got started uh, as far as the the initial you know, interest of it. I can tell you, you know, my first deals and all that too, but. 
Yeah, well, I think that's awesome. It was your father-in-law who was real supportive or encouraging of you. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that makes a huge difference. Oh, yeah. Um, Whereas what did other people think? Did you share this with everybody or was this kind of an internal thing, you know, that you kind of kept to yourself and a few key people? Yeah, I, I, I think I kept it to myself. Um, thank God, you know, I had the blessing that my wife was very supportive and she was interested. And also, I think she knew where my heart was and my, my motivation. And there's a lot of things behind that and why I wanted to get into it. Um, but that was a huge part of it. And I probably didn't tell a ton of people because I like to know what in the world I'm doing before I let myself out there. You know, I don't want to embarrass myself and be like, oh, yeah. He has no idea what he's doing. Just wait, you know, that kind of thing. But man, I went at it like full force, hundred percent. So what was the, what was the mental thing? Like your dad, your father-in-law comes to you. He's going to back you financially. I mean, generally mm-hmm. not knowing you this part of the story. What was finally that last mental hurdle that says, I've got the skill, I've got the money. It's time to jump. Yeah. I think, I think we've all heard, you know, you have to pull the trigger at some point. Um, I think I sat on it for a long time and I finally was just like, you know what? Enough is enough. Like we got to do this thing if we're going to be, if we're really serious about doing it. And for me, I had a lot of motivation behind it with my family and just needing some assets. And um, I, I, I think the final straw was just, I had the money and it was available and it was time to just put up or shut up. You know, and so I did. I found two uh, properties at auction. We have a local auction here in Oklahoma City called the Sheriff Sale. It's every two weeks. And so I did a lot of research. I have a buddy that had bought maybe 30 properties through auction. And so I knew that it worked. I knew that it could be, it was possible. And so I sat with him. I probably went to three or four auctions with him before I ever did anything. Just, you know, again, just kind of investigating. And uh, I just tried it. I went and looked at probably 20 properties drove by, did ran the numbers, calculators, everything. And, and I had a, a number that I was comfortable with and I knew I wouldn't go beyond that number. And I, my first, my first two properties, I bought at the same time, not just one, but I bought two at auction and I was scared out of my mind. I was like, what have I done? Oh boy. So yeah. That is all in, man. <laughs> yeah. That's not dipping your toe in the water. That's, that's jumping. Right. right. And two remodels. I mean, not just turnkey. They were, they needed a lot of work. So. So what was the process like with those first couple? Yeah. The the first two, one was in a little better shape. Uh, Just, you know, they were both foreclosure. One, I mean, I gotta be honest, not the smartest thing, but I, it was sight unseen. I had looked at everything online, but uh, when I went by there, it was probably worst case scenario. I mean, there was two pit bulls, they were living there for, I don't know how long running in and out of the house. Uh, I don't have to tell you what was inside the house, but it was basically abandoned. It was scary. It was just completely torn apart, but I got that first house for 43,000 and probably put about 15,000 into it, uh, 12 to 15,000. And it's been, it was an education, like they say, I mean, I learned so much, um, but it, it was, it was a nightmare, but I, I pushed through. I mean, I saw the end goal. I knew that, we're going to do this no matter what, you know, everything can be fixed was kind of my attitude. So that's, that's what we did. Yeah, that's awesome. I think just the perspective of you're going to succeed or you're going to do it no matter what, no matter what you have to jump over that perspective uh, really is uh, monumental. Yeah. So what about, did you hold it as a rental then the the first one? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, all mine, all mine are uh, buy and hold uh, rentals, and um, you know I, I would say I, now I pretty much have down a really good system and process. I can I can close on a house and have it rehabbed in about six weeks and rent it out, um, and that's you know I do the Burr method, which you guys are familiar with, um, where you buy it, you rehab it, you rent it out you refinance the house and then you repeat the process. And so I'm just kind of turning my money over and over and just using it to go and buy more property. But that's what I do is all mine are buy and hold right now. But Brian, let's, let's, uh, let's let bring, let's, 
everybody that's listening is only thinking about HGTV, <laughs> right? right? And you say, oh, I'll get it done in six weeks. And they're thinking, man, those budgets yeah. are fifty dollars and $75,000 rehabs. Tell them what mm -hmm. a rehab consists of for your buy and hold, sure. average cost, and the type of finishes you're doing because you know it's going to be a rental in certain parts of the right. city. Yeah, that's great. Um, so it is a little less involved, I would say, than like a full-on flip that may take three to five months, six months. Uh, this, I, I go in there pretty much every house that I buy. I know that I'm going to spend at least 10000 I, I mean, that's just kind of a given that I factor that into my cost. And usually it's more. Usually there's some surprises and you start opening walls and all that. But I always do paint, interior. I always do flooring if it needs new carpet or, you know, uh, Vinyl plank is the popular thing now. Appliances, I usually have to upgrade some appliances. Um, I, I try to add a couple little things. I always do garage door openers with my properties because I feel like, you know, who doesn't want to be able to pull into the garage if it's raining and all that. So I always try to add a few little things that I want my people that I rent to to stay there. I want them to really enjoy the property and not just feel like they're, they're just, you know, they're hurting. They're trying to find a place to live and you know, it's, I'm just this crummy landlord kind of guy, but I, I want them to really enjoy it, be excited about it, um, try to make the bathroom look nice, all, all those kind of things. So that's, that's usually where I start is the purchase price plus, you know, maybe 10 to 15 grand. Now I've spent more, I've spent upwards of 35 grand on a, on a rehab, but I, I also work those numbers in. So. It's awesome. Yeah. And I, I would just I say too, you know, Oh, sorry, Chad. After a while, you just you, you you've got your your uh, contractors too, and you kind of know their speed, and um, they work with me a lot. I mean, I, I just got off the phone with my my handyman who's done every one of my houses with me, and we just talked over the phone a punch list of everything that has to get done, and he's picking up materials, and he just wanted to clear a couple of things with me, and you know, so we kind of talk about some of those things. You have a good idea. Um, it really before you purchase it. I mean, he'll walk all the properties with me and we get a good idea of what it's going to cost before I even close on the house. So a lot of my clients end up, I mean, one of their big struggles is dealing with contractors. How did mm -hmm. you, when you were starting, you know, the first two rehabs, how did you vet your contractor, find your contractor? How, how'd you build that relationship? Yeah. And again, that's a trial and error thing. Um, I did the best I could to build relationships with some people. I, again, I took three or four uh, really seasoned investors out to lunch and talked to them. And, and thank God they were gracious enough to like give me some names and numbers. And I said, well, call this guy for that. Call this you know person for that. Um, but really on the first couple properties, I'm not using those same contractors anymore. There, some of them just turn out to be awful. You know, that one, my tile guy botched a job on my first house and I'll never call him again. Cause I don't, I don't even think he was a legit tile guy. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of Craigslist calls and Facebook calls and all that. But over time, you know, you, you find the people, uh, through trial and error. And I, I try to, you know, I take care of my guys. Now we have good friendships and they're, I, I try to love on them and not just treat them like some handyman and Hey, go do this for me. And you know, he, my handyman came over for 4th of July with his wife. Uh, we go to lunch together. Like we, we have a relationship and uh, the guys that, that work with him, I mean, I just try to love on them and take care of them and let them know how much I appreciate them too. So I think that's a huge part of it. I got to meet, uh, I got to meet Brian's handyman. So he's, yeah. he's a good guy. A couple of those guys yeah. met at one of Brian's houses they were about to buy. And uh, yeah, they, they definitely know Brian's what he's doing and he can trust. Cause I'm, are you even talking paint color and stuff or he just kind of knows what you're going to do? Yeah. I mean, at this point I've got a standard color that I use for every property and they know it. I mean, same, my, you know, same with my painter. Uh, he just knows what we're going to do. Every once in a while I'll get a little crazy and I'll see a little different vision for the, exterior you know but uh i try to keep it pretty standard i think that's a good good lesson or encouragement for everybody that if they hire somebody and they don't do a good job or they're not easy to work with doesn't mean they've done something wrong it's just part of the process you know you got to weed through people yeah. and find the one you can trust or the one that really meshes mm -hmm. with how you run your business and mm -hmm. just accept it as part of the process yeah, it's good to have a deep bench or a depth chart of guys that you can call. I mean, I keep a list of, 
you know, my, here's my top one, two, three, then I'm going to call for this job and all that. Cause they're not always available. They may be on another job. And so you've got to have some backups that you can call that you trust and they're going to do a good job. So trying to keep them in a rotation is good, especially as you scale and grow, you're going to have to have more people to help. Sure. So, okay, let's get into some of the details with this first house. You got purchase price in the 40s. You got a rehab of 15, I think you said. What was the value after the work was done and it was rented? Yeah, it appraised for 64000 So, um, it wasn't it wasn't a home run. And I learned that pretty soon that some are going to be singles that you hit. Some are going to be doubles. Um, I've hit two grand slams i would say and i can talk about those but this was definitely my first part it was definitely a, a, a bunt maybe and getting to first base uh so it was i love baseball so does chris but uh yes. so it, it was just man it was rough you know and i there was times i was like i don't know what i've done this is crazy you know surely they can't all be like this but and it was just dulled i mean it, everything sewer lines and tile work and paint and just everything had to be redone on it. The garage, there was hoarders there and, you know, just the whole thing. It was just kind of a mess. But basically what I do is I, I got those first two properties rehabbed and rented out. I think I got that one rented out for seven fifty. It's now up to eight twenty five is what the tenants pay, but we've, we've done repairs along the way and all that, but I got those first two rented out and I took them to the bank and I don't know if you guys want to jump right into this, but basically I took them to the bank, you know, and the, to the bank, I own the houses because I had bought them with private money on a, on a, from a lender. So I, I own the houses. I take them to the bank. They set them up on a line of credit and which allows me to go and purchase two more. They set me up on a hundred thousand dollar line of credit. And, um, so I was able to go buy, I went and bought number three and four also as a package deal. So I had, I had four then pretty quick within two or three months of each other. And I did the same process. And so the bank, after I um, get it rented out and it's rehabbed and everything, I take it to the bank and they refinance the property. So they get it appraised and it's, you know, I get 80% uh, loan to value on the appraisal back. So if it's a hundred thousand dollar house or it appraises at a hundred thousand, I'm going to get $80,000 back which I can go use again to purchase another property like that. So that, that's, that's the process that I've used. It's worked pretty well. And because you're, because you're um, on staff, uh, you have a daytime job, you're mm -hmm. not having to um, depend on that refi to pay yourself to get through right. the next property, right? You're just turning exactly. around and using all of your capital and putting it right back in the next property. Definitely. And I, and it is, you know, it definitely is a benefit to have a W2 and a good solid job. Um, I'm still full time at a church. Um, but also, you know, the bank likes that, but, um, it is possible, you know, I've heard lots of stories of people doing this and living off of that. But for me with four kids, uh, it's, I, I need a little more. So, so with <laughs> that, right. with that real quick for all the people that are going to listen to this and say, how do you have what seems like a full-time job on the church and really many that don't do this, a full-time job, you know, mm -hmm. managing these properties, rehabbing other ones. How are you able to adjust your time and, and pull out? Cause most yeah. people would say, no, I, I can't do that. Yeah. And I know a lot of people, even in my own family, extended family that are like, Oh, renters. Oh, I just, there's no way, you know, they think it's just this awful nightmare thing and it's really not. I think if you vet the process up front, you know who you're getting into your homes. It's not a crazy deal. Um, and I don't feel like I spend that much time. Usually my busyness is, is a text I get from a tenant that, I mean, I got one yesterday and it said, Hey, something's going on with our AC and they send me a text. I literally copy that text, send it to my, my HVAC guy and he takes care of it. I send the name, number, the address, they take care of it. He bills me. I usually get a response from my tenant that says, Hey, everything's good. Thanks so much for being so quick. Uh, we did that with a sewer line yesterday. So just things like that. It's really just a very quick text. I can call my handyman. He's on it, takes care of it. Um, I, my schedule is, is pretty flexible at the church, but I'm usually Monday through uh, Thursday plus Sundays. So I usually spend Friday 
doing a lot of real estate stuff, especially when the kids are in school. I focus a lot on real estate uh, on Fridays. I'll do drive arounds and, and go look at property and go check on things. Sometimes I do in the evening, sometimes at lunch. I just have to find the right spot. Um, so I, I am blessed to have, you know, the freedom and the flexibility to do that. My family also is very involved. Um, my wife helps with our finances. She does all of our books for all the rental properties. So she's very involved and knows what's, what's coming in and out. My kids mow lawns with me. My boys mow a lot of the vacant properties that I have. If they're ever vacant, they'll, they'll do that. They know the lingo. I mean, they're learning a lot about real estate. So it's definitely like a family uh, thing that we're doing. So. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's sharp. So I, I think it, a lot of people overestimate how much time it takes to manage rentals. If you have the right systems in place, if you, if you have good systems, um, yeah. you know, the system takes care of a lot of things. Right. So, and it actually system. right before we uh, hopped on this call, I was talking to somebody who had 70 and about two months ago, they transitioned from a full-time manager to self-managing. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to, you know, explain the systems and how many hours they're going to have to put in. And now two months later, he was saying, yeah, it's about four hours a week with 70 units. Wow. So wow. I really think yeah. there's a lot to say for that building the systems and taking the time and doing it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I run everything through the cozy software so I can manage property manage that way with maintenance requests and, you know, they all pay me online. I don't drive anywhere. I don't let them come to me to pay. Just things like that. Like you're talking about systems are so important. So. Sure. And you said too, when you refinance those first two properties, you, you got a line of credit on the two. Right. 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 And what's the, why'd you go with the line of credit versus a 30 year standard mortgage, something like that? Well, I saw it as a way to move a little faster, I think. Um, honestly, at the time, I didn't know a ton about it. I didn't have the 20% to put down. Uh, and I know, you know, that it, for me, it was just a faster way. I had the private money. I had a plan with them to, for paying back at a certain, you know, certain terms that we had agreed to. But it just seemed like a, a great way to establish a relationship with a bank also that understood, you know, real estate investors and, really began to recycle that money. And I bought eight properties with them. And for me, it's just been a very, it's funny, my, my title at the church is creative director, but I feel like a lot of real estate is having to be creative, you know, with, with how you finance property. And I feel like every one of my deals has been different. I've, I've bought quite a few, uh, I've bought three from auction. I've bought maybe three from wholesalers. I've bought one for sale by owner. I've bought a, quite a few from uh, just other investors that are just tired or moving out of that area. And every one of those the, deals has been really different. And what's the common thread? What's why, why, what's the common thread? And all of those, you bought them different sellers, but what was the common thread on why you pulled the trigger to buy that property? Ooh, man, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that, right? There's a, you're, you want me to say something and I don't know what you want me to say. No, 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 no. I, I, well, I'll give you, I'll, motivation. I'll give you an example. No, no, no. Yeah. Well, for sure. But say, you're buying houses from different people because obviously there's a motivation. This house you're asking about in Arlington that we bought, it's a yeah. $180,000 to $190,000 house. He inherited it mm -hmm. three years ago. He's 55 years old. He doesn't do real estate. He gets $900 a month rent, right? But he could get $1,400, but he's going to have mm. to do a rehab. I don't want to do that. He doesn't know. So I said, I'll pay you a hundred. And then we went and looked at it and I said, I'd rather be at 90. And he said, that's fine. And then he came back and I said, man, it's going to take a lot of work. And we showed him the pictures. And he said this, Brian, <laughs> he said, well, Chris, it's the thing that we would say. He said, Chris, why don't we put on our creative hats? And I thought mm. we're going to win right here, baby. And he said, yeah, yeah. He, didn't he said, what if you didn't bring a down payment? I said, well, that, that'd be good. So we're paying him 8% interest on the 90 or a $600 a month payment. And then he called yeah. me back two days later and said, Chris, I'm trying to make money on my money. Could we give you $20,000 towards the rehab? And I said, sure. Wow. Okay. But it's the same thing. It's every story I've heard of yours. It's each one of those people were motivated, but you were able to say, well, here's a way I could structure that to help you. Right. 
but I could also buy the property. So I'm alleviating your problem. And so it doesn't matter who the seller is. It's just do the numbers work? And can I creatively put a package together to take this house down? Yeah, exactly. And I, one of, one of the best deals I've done is with a roofer, a guy that had done like three roofs of mine. And just through conversation, he's like, Hey, do you still, are you still buying property? And I said, absolutely. You know, what do you have? Let's talk. And so he kind of shared with me that he was in a tough situation with a family member who was renting or they weren't renting. They were living in the house, but not paying anything. He's just like, man, I just don't want to deal with this anymore. And I was able to buy it for 38 and that thing, we got it appraised or fi- fixed up and appraised for a hundred. So, and I've got it rented out for nine fifty. Yeah. So that's like one of the best deals I've done because again, relationship talking, like I, I tried to meet him where he felt comfortable. I didn't want to, you know, screw him over for any reason or take advantage of him. And he knew that I was trustworthy and all that. And so we just agreed on something. So I think so much of this is just, you know, we want to go in and sign the deal and like, Hey, let's do this now. And sometimes it just takes a while, Chris. And I know you talk a lot about that. You've, you've, you try to build a relationship with people and hear what they're going through and like, how can we solve a problem? How can we help you, you know, to get out of your rough situation? Obviously it's probably going to benefit us if we can figure out a deal, but just sometimes it's just helping people out and golly, there's some great things that can come from that. So uh, every deal I, is different. 100%. I agree because my son is one of my acquisitions. My 19 year old son's one of my acquisitions and he's helping one of the guys that brings me deals from Seattle and we move and he's a new wholesaler and he's in part, he's a part of the minister of transportation of the country of Canada and he's working Seattle. Mm. And so they call he hired Taylor for a hundred leads because he had to fire the person he was using. And he starts, he and Tay both start saying, well, well, this is the square footage. And, and then I said, whoa, 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 guys. Are either one of you guys friends with this guy? Well, you know, we kind of know what he's doing. Yeah, but has there been a chuckle? Has there been a laugh? Have you made some kind of connection? No. All right, so you got to go back and do that. And then number two, what's his motivation? Well, he's retiring. I said, I still haven't heard motivation. Mm. What, how is this house weighted on his shoulders that he has to sell to you? And neither of them can answer. I said, well, I guess we're done on the phone call. <laughs> wow. Because, it, you know, it's just like you said, if I can help the person not take advantage of the person. Right. And man, a lot of times, you know, that may not be the driving factor, but a lot of times it kind of plays in your favor. If you're just patient and you really genuinely care about them, you know, that's not, you know, if that's your desires to really help them. I've just seen that play out a couple of times. I, another story I have is uh, my first for sale by owner. I had just read Never Split the Difference, the book about negotiating. And I saw the for sale by owner sign and it was my first one. I was anxious. I was shaking. I was like, you know what? Let's do it. So I pull over, I get out and I introduce myself and we ended up talking for an hour inside the house, you know, and he's like, come on in, look at it. You know, was, his dad had passed away and uh, he didn't know what to do with the house. He wanted to sell it, just didn't want to deal with it anymore. He was trying to rehab it himself. And after about an hour, we, uh, we signed a sales agreement, agreed on a price. This one was a little faster, but, you know, we, we, there was a couple conversations that we had over the next week. But um, long story short, man, we, we just got to know each other, connected on some different levels about our parents. And uh, that was my first for sale by owner deal. We just agreed and closed in about three weeks on that one. And it was a cash offer and he felt good about it. And man, it's just, it, it takes, takes being a little motivated and just stepping out of your comfort zone and having some conversation with people sometimes. That's sharp. That's, that's a great point. I know, I mean, me initially, when I first talked to a seller and a lot of people share that like uneasiness, like it's going to be confrontational or, you know, I have to have just the perfect words to say or something. And yeah. I think it's humbling when they they just need some help. And if you can help them, you know, you don't have to have the right words. Um, It's just a discussion. So, yeah, a lot of times it's, it's a lot of listening. You'll, you'll learn a lot from just letting them talk about what's going on, what, where their pressure point is and what's why they're doing it. You can just listen and learn a whole lot that way. Awesome. So I, I, uh, not to jump way back, but I really like the uh, the line of credit idea too. 
I wish I yeah. would have done that. I really need to do that um, because I love the idea that you have the money available, but you're not paying interest until you actually use it. I always, especially starting off, I always had this stress that I didn't have any mm -hmm. money and then I would refinance. And then I had stress because I was paying for this money that I wasn't using yet and yeah. looking for a deal. So the line of credit's a great, great way to solve that. Yeah. I, and I would say, you know, to those listening, like don't feel stuck on one thing. I, I did eight properties with that line of credit and kind of rehab, you know, did the whole process over and over. And then I kind of got stuck. The bank said, Hey, let's slow down a little bit, you know, looking at my financials and it just looked, I was just going nuts, just buying property really fast. And so really for a while, I mean, it may have been a year. I, I did one deal in a year and that was through private money. I got, you know, that's a whole nother thing is I've done about five deals with private money just through some buddies um, that have money sitting in their account and it's not really growing much. And so I created some terms that I felt good about, that they felt good about. And I've done five deals through private money where they, they get a percentage back. Uh, but it allows me to go buy property really quick with cash. And it allows my buddies, my private lenders to make a good percentage back on their money in a really short amount of time, usually within about three months. And so it just, man, it freed me up a lot, you know, to, uh, to have other outlets and creative financing than just going to the bank or just having that line of credit. Um, so there's been a couple things like that. I just recently, I was against this forever, but I just did a HELOC on my private property and, and my personal property. And I got it at 3.125. And let hey, me tell you, you that through, feels. Did you do it through a bank that? or credit union? Bank or credit union? Uh, we did that through a bank. I just did it but, too. We but, did, Jeremy and I just did it. <laughs> yeah. So we refinanced the house and then we did the the HELOC, you know, but 3.125% is a, interest is a lot better than like eight to 10% with a lender. Now I'm going to keep those relationships going, but man, there's just, there's different ways is my point of like, don't feel locked into one way of doing things or feel trapped. So much of it is asking questions doing the research, you got to put the work in, but there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of guys that want to loan you money. There's banks that want to loan you money. Uh, there's just a lot of different ways to make it work. There's really no excuse. So, but your HELOC, your HELOC, you guys did for the simple fact of having, and you're not paying on it until you choose to go exercise it. The reason why Jeremy and I did it, but now you, you can go out and buy a house, finish it, rehab, put it right back in. You yes. always have that sitting there. I bought a $50,000 boat. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it is strictly, <laughs> it is strictly for everybody held their breath for a second. Did he just no. say that? <laughs> we just lost everybody listening. No, uh, what's crazy is I've heard people that I know people that are doing that. And I'm so sorry, but I had to, I had to give some serious strict advice to a very close friend of mine mm -hmm. about what they were wanting to do and all, with that money. Anyway, my, my whole purpose with the line of credit is strictly to continue reinvesting, you know, cause I want to pay it right back. I want to, I want to rehab that house and refinance it and put that money right back in there. Uh, so I can go do it again. So it's, it's an oh, incredible quick, you, opportunity. So that, that, that's a definitely a good conversation, but like Chad was saying on the private money. So, so walk mm -hmm. the people through, Having yep. a conversation. People are scared to Absolutely. death to talk to family or friends about, hey, why don't you give me $20,000, $30,000, You trust me with it and I'm going to go buy a house and I guarantee in the next six months I'll get that back to you. Yeah, it sounds crazy, but <laughs> it, it works because I did it a few times. So I, part of it is, you know, who you know. Uh, I, I, I did have a few houses under my belt, which helped that I could say, look, I've done this it works. This is exactly my plan. Um, and it, it, this is not just a phone call. It starts with a phone call uh, or a lunch, but I said, Hey, I've got this idea. Um, this is what I'm doing with these real estate properties. And you know, this is usually what I pay for them. This is usually how long it takes me to, you know, I kind of explain the whole process to them. So they understand that part. And then I will find a deal and maybe it could be a month later after that, that phone call that we had. But now I know that they're kind of interested, you know, but I sent them, I, I create a list, a, a term sheet. It's usually one page. 
and I'll have the terms on it. And mine usually has been like, I need to borrow X amount of dollars, $50,000 for 12 months at eight to 10%. You know, well, it depends on the deal, you know, whatever. Um, and my, my goal is this, and I tell them everything there's exit strategies for them. <laughs> there's if I default on payment, whatever, but I basically borrow that money. And I said, I think I can do it in probably three months or less. That's my plan, but I need 12, 12 months. And so I, I, I figure all that out with them. I tell them exactly what the, what's going to happen. We wire them, you know, you wire the money to my bank on this date. I take that money and I use it for purchase costs plus rehab. I mean, I don't, it's is a no money down deal. And so I, I do that deal usually within about six weeks, but I, I explain everything to them. I make sure they feel good about it, what the benefits are. If I default, if I, whatever, they basically get the house as one, one of the exit strategies or whatever, you know, there's all these ways and I set up a payment plan with them and all that. So I've done that quite a few times. Uh, and I'm, I'm about to close on my last private deal, hopefully next week. And it took about, I think this one took about two and a half months, but I'm going to close my bank's going to wire me the money back to my account or back to his account plus 10%. And now, you know, in two, I've made this guy 10 grand on two house deals and all he did was loan me money for about six months. That's not bad, you know. If if you can explain it that way, and you're good, if you're if you're trustworthy, if you explain what's going to happen, and then you follow through with what you said you were going to do, that creates a lot of trust, creates a good relationship. So, I, I kind of ran through that really fast, but it's really as simple as that for me. I knew a couple of buddies in my life that have money to 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 work with, and it just sits in their account. And so it was a good, it, it's a good opportunity. You know, I, I, I made them, I made it known that, Hey, this is a deal that you and I are doing. This is a partnership kind of thing, you know, without us doing an LLC and I do a promissory note with them. I mean, there's a couple of things that we take care of that really locks it in and makes it a legit deal. So you don't do, you don't, do you do a deed of trust too, or just a promissory? No, I don't. I mean, there, there's some guys that have asked about that. Um, but I haven't had to do that. It's really just a promissory note. Um, but there, there are some guys that have asked, you know, in the future, uh, if they could do something like that, it's like second in line or yeah. I can't remember what you call it. Uh, but yeah, so that, that's, that's just a couple of deals that I've done like that. It's a, it's a phone call explaining the deal and they agree. They say, okay, yeah, I'm interested. I literally do the calculator. I explain, you know, here's the, um, Here's the house. Here's where it is. The location. This is my plan. This is what I'm going to get for rent. This is my rehab costs. I'll let them know all those numbers. I send that document to them. I send a promissory note to them and they sign it. We all agree. And then they give the thumbs up and then they wire the money to my bank. And that's how, that's how those have gone for me. So. That's great. I think that's uh, super encouraging for people. So yeah, what was, what was that initial conversation like? Was did you feel like you were trying to convince them to give you money, or was it, uh, you know, what was the interaction yeah. like? Yeah, um, I there was there was one, if I remember right, there was one guy that I was a little more like, hey man, let me tell you about this <laughs> thing, you know, and I was trying to feel it out and all that. There was another guy that I knew that was interested in investments and real estate and, and all that. Cause you know, there's a part of you that feels like, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of money, you know, for people, for some people, it was a lot of money for me. So you feel kind of weird about it, but there, there are people that, you know, they have that kind of capital and they want their money to, they want it to grow. They want to do something with, there are people that need to park their money somewhere instead of it just sitting in their account. So the, the first couple of conversations were, it, it was, again, it was trial and error for me. I learned a lot, what to say, what not to say. Um, but I just tried to give them the, the straight facts and basically like, look, this is what I'm doing. This model works. Would you like to be a part of this and do something with me? And, and sure. they were very interested. Yeah. So that's great. I, I think too many people worry about that initial discussion and feel like mm -hmm. they're asking for money. Or, or trying to convince yeah. that lender to do something. Mm -hmm. And I think the better perspective is we have this great opportunity. We have this good deal. Do you want to be a part of it? Here's how it can exactly. benefit you. 
And I think exactly. you shared some awesome key tips of just being completely transparent with the numbers, the benefits mm-hmm. to them as the lender, the right. kind of consequences to you as the borrower, if you default, how that lender right. is secured. Um, being upfront about all of that initially, I think is a, a huge key. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, Brian, how did you settle? You keep saying eight to 10%. Why or how did you settle in that eight to 10% range? Yeah, I, I think part of it is my ARV. So like the appraised retail value, it depends on what I think I'm going to do on the deal. If it's going to be super tight for me, um, maybe I, maybe I didn't get it. The purchase price exactly as low as I wanted it, but I know it's going to be a pretty tight deal. I may, I may drop it down and say, this is a 6% deal or 10% or, you know, whatever. Part of it is the amount that they're loaning. Um, I mean, I, so that, that's something I don't feel like I've, um, gotten really excellent at, like I'm still learning where to set the percentage, but I know that the times that I've done 10%, it was worth it for me because I knew that I could pay that back on top of the initial investment. You know, I know that the 10% wasn't going to kill me and it, and it made it more attractive to them. Um, and so I, you know, well, it, it just kind of depends on what the, yeah, one of the reasons I like doing this is because as much as I'm asking questions for other people to learn, I want to learn. And a couple of weeks ago, Chad and I were talking, and I don't know if it was on my interview to him or him interviewing me, but uh, Chad, talk a little bit real, because I think Brian would benefit from that. I sure did of what 10% said to a lender and what 6% says to a lender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a yeah meeting with one of my lenders who's lent with me on multiple deals. And I'll never forget it. I was... I had started at 10% and I was trying to get to 8%. And so I was kind of like giving him two options and giving him an incentive uh, to go down to 8%. And his response was that 8% is a good return. Let's just stick with eight. And I could see from the discussion immediately that in his eyes, 10% was risky. That, that meant that the deal was more, had more risk involved and that's why I would need to give this return the lower rate of return and it was a more secure, stable uh, investment. And so he was more comfortable. He liked the lower return better. So that gave me a lot of confidence with future lenders to just offer eight and then seven and six and, and, you know, say that this investment has the same security as a bank. And that's, those are kind of the terms that a bank would get you'd be getting better terms than most banks, but you'd have the same security and comparing it to that instead of trying to compare that return to the stock market or something with a lot more volatility and risk um, involved. See, I would have said, so 2% is really safe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It would have been interesting to see how that conversation went. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, that's really beneficial. I really appreciate that because I, you know, I I wouldn't have thought that way. I would just think, oh, they're just going to want back this great amount. You know, it kind of maxes me out, but it's also very attractive to them. But that that's very helpful. So thank you. Well, and it's person it's personality based, right? There there are people right. that have no problem going to Vegas thinking, "Hey man, I'm going to come back with more than I left." And there are other people that say, "I'm going to take 500 bucks and that's all I'm going to lose because the house always wins and I'm walking away." And so you kind of really have to know the personality of who you're talking to, but people mm-hmm. got that type of capital that's sitting there because they yes. were they were smart. They made smart moves and most smart move people say, "Hey, I want to build wealth." wealth slowly. So that's where it clicked with me when Chad said, the guy really, I didn't say anything different, but he heard more risk when he heard 10%. And I would always Mm. think like Brian of, man, I really need to make sure that percentage is up there because I want to want to make sure they do the deal. But yet I might be working against myself. They might be hearing he's offering that because really it's a risky deal. Mm. Yeah, man, that's, that's really good. I appreciate that. So you said in, in your, your first six months, you had eight deals. You continued growing from there. So share with us, were there any struggles along the way? Was that just smooth sailing? You never had a headache? What was it like? Uh, yeah, I mean, 
it, it was good for me just to stop for a while and take a breath and coast for a minute. Um, uh, that, that, that span of six months or so that I didn't really do much was probably good. I think I, I gained a lot. I learned a lot. I read a lot of books. Just It was kind of a period of, of growth as far as education for me. Um, where I was just able to step back for a second and let things season for a while. I mean, I remember going running with our buddy, you know, Steven Van Kalenberg and just talking about that. Like, man, I'm, I don't really feel like I'm going anywhere. I'm kind of stopped. And he was very encouraging about that and said, you, you need to go talk to a couple of these banks. And um, I felt like I had hit kind of a, a pause button with my first bank. And he, he introduced me to a couple other people and I had a, uh, great conversations with them and just start a new relationship. And I, you know, now I've got, uh, now I've got four banks that I work with, uh, since that conversation where I felt I was kind of stuck with this one bank and, you know, hadn't really moved forward. So, um, so that, was that was part of it. So, you know, if you have, um, if you have eight, eight properties and your first bank says, Oh, this is starting to look a little risky. We need to put the brakes mm-hmm. on. And then you talk to another bank and they look at the exact same financials and they say, Oh, let's continue this relationship and, and do some more deals. What's the difference from their perspective? Why was it beneficial I, I to think, talk to a new bank? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think that, uh, and this is my uneducated answer, but I think that there's just banks that want to loan money. And I think that they, they'll take, they're a little riskier. I think there's some smaller, most of the banks I work with are smaller local banks. And I think that, you know, I, I still love the first bank I worked with. They got me going and I continue to, to do work with them. But I think there's just other banks that they've got a little more ability to take some risk or take a chance on you or whatever, you know, and so far it's all gone well. I and mean, I've never defaulted on a single payment. And they, they came to me during Corona and said, Hey, we'll do the, the three month extension thing. And I mean, er- everything's been great with that. But for me, I just felt stuck and I didn't know that it was okay to go talk to other banks, you know? So if you're a new investor, just don't feel stuck on any one thing. Just know that there's answers and there's opportunity outside of what you feel confined to. So Yeah. Awesome. That's sure. I don't know if that answers the question, but yeah, completely. I think, I don't know, for me personally, I think it would give me a little more peace of mind too, that especially if, you know, if there is our balloon payments in the loans or something, if something happens with that bank and they hold all of my loans, I'm going to have real issues um, if they call all those balloons due. Whereas if, if I have multiple banks I'm dealing with, same with private lenders. If I have multiple private lenders I'm dealing with, that gives me some sense of security. Yeah. And I've got, my banks are different. I've got one bank that it's, everything's on a 15 year fixed, you know, rate that's never going to change while I own the properties. And I've got some that are five year balloons. So that'll, we'll just keep reevaluating every year. So they're all just kind of different. Sure. So what are your goals moving forward? What's your vision for where you want to go or where you're working to get to? Uh, I want, this is where I want to make a joke, but I'll just be serious. Uh, I, (laughs) with with my goals, but I, man, I just want to, I want to keep growing. I think there's so much to learn. You know, I feel like I've experienced a lot in the last couple of years, but I know there is so much more to learn and more relationships and nope. I'm not doing the joke. I'm not, I was going to make a joke about where I'm headed and my goals, but, um, but anyway, so I, no, no joke. I, I want to continue growing in single family, uh, rentals. I I mean, I'm not going to stop. So I don't really have like an, I I don't have a number. I know that I'm really shooting towards 50 and I, and I want to get to 50 properties pretty fast. Uh, but I'm just going to keep going. I'm very interested in commercial real estate. I'm interested in possibly some apartment complexes, um, I just don't know where things are going to take me. You know, right now I'm very fixed on buy and hold property, single family, but I'm really open to anything. I have just kind of a natural, uh, I'm a handyman myself. I do DIY stuff. I build things. I'm a carpenter. So nothing scares me. Like I don't really get freaked out about tenants or something breaking or I, really none of that is an issue for me. So I'm not afraid of taking any of those somewhat risky things on. So 
I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure where it's going. I just know that I would like to continue scaling and growing and eventually work myself out of a job. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to stay in full-time ministry forever, but I want to have the freedom, you know, financially to, to still serve in the church and do things in the church, but also really, really focus on my family more than ever. And that's kind of the thing that drives me in one of my main motivations. Sure. So, yeah. And I think for a lot of people who worry about that terrible tenant or, you know, the property damage or whatever, that scaling helps too. If you have 10 units and a terrible tenant, that's a bigger issue than 30 units and one terrible tenant, you know, same with an eviction. You know, if you only have a few and evictions are really big deal, but right. If 30, 40, it's just part of life, you know, (laughs) and you move on. So, yeah. That's a, that's a, that's very true. That's a good word. Yeah. So what, uh, you know, you mentioned a little bit, what motivates you, what is, you know, clarify a little more, what's your big why or what is your really your passion moving forward? Mm -hmm. Um, what motivates you for, because it takes a lot of effort to build a portfolio of 50 and beyond, you know, what, what keeps you working at it and keeps you focused. Um, I, there's a lot of things to that. Number one, it it has to be family. I mean, I just, I, I I have a desire to spend most of my time with my family. I'm a big family guy and a dad of four kids. I've been married 20 years now, 20 plus years. And, um, I just, I love going to ball games. I love being free to do that kind of stuff with my kids. And I'm, I'm pretty good at it now, but I just, I want to be able to do that on my own terms and give as I can give, you know, I do want to be in a place financially where I can serve the church or do whatever I can, but also just to give, you know, and help other people out, um, and, in, in big ways. So that's, that's what I'm excited about. I want to travel. I want to, you know, all that kind of stuff that everybody wants to do. But awesome. Yeah. Well, I know you'll, I know you'll do it. That's for sure. You'll get it. Yeah, I let, sure hope let me so. Ask one question. <laughs> let me ask one question. You know, my mantra is is keep going. Um, there are times, even guys like you, guys like us, when, when things are going well, but they're not going the well that you want them to, maybe you're mm-hmm. in a rut. What, mm-hmm. what are, what do you flash back to in the beginning that, that gives you a kind of a new wind in the sails to say, wait a minute, I've already gotten here right? Mm-hmm. Let, let's keep this thing going. What is it that sometimes you flash back to? I understand wife and kids. I, I get that part. That's all these three guys. That's all our main motivation. But in the business side, what is it that says, you know what, pick it up. Let's go. Let's keep going. I mean, not to, not to sound, I don't know, not to sound cliche or cheesy. I just, I think in some cool way, I am helping people. I'm changing lives in some way. Um, every time I get a house cleaned up, I get excited. Like I'm, I get excited to show this house that I just spent two months rehabbing and it looks really good. And I see this family come in and they may be in a tough spot, you know, and they, I mean, I hear it all the time. We've never had our own place. We've been in this junky apartment and blah, 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 whatever. Um, I, I love seeing people happy and excited. I know that I'm making a difference in some way, providing a really nice place for them. Um, I know that I can get through anything. Um, I've been through a lot personally, and I know that I can get through anything, you know, through God and and through the love of my family and all that. And everything's fixable. Like I said before, um, apart from a house just burning down or blowing down, I know that it's okay. It's going it, to, we can fix this somehow. I can make a phone call it's going to cost some money. It hurts, but it can get fixed. So that's kind of what keeps me just going is I'm just not, I'm not biting my nails all the time, worried that something terrible is going to happen. And that's what I was trying to draw it is that I listen to podcasts. I get to, to do this a little bit with Chad. And, and I think there's a lot of people out there that just will, will excuse it away. And I think there's a tool and I don't necessarily have a uh, a, a for sure name. It's just kind of a phrase of it's just find a way, right? Uh, any right. You could be texted or called as soon as this is over with, and our house is flooding. 
but you're going to find a way, right? Right. Or, or, or a tornado came through and knocked down one of the houses. Hey, we'll find a way. Insurance, you know, but it can't be, well, that's it. We're done. It's just, hey, let's find a way. When you're talking to a seller, find a way to reach them. When you're talking to a tenant, yeah. find a way. And I think there's just this mentality that people have to understand that we're not entrepreneurs or people in real estate, they're not more talented. They're not more gifted. They're just, they've resolved in their heart. They're going to find a way. Yes. Yeah. I have this, I feel like I have this attitude since I started that I'm not going to stop. Like, like I love your, your phrase of keep going. I mean, I definitely connect with that. Like there's nothing that's going to stop me. I just have no desire to stop. I, I get excited about this. It's something I'm very passionate about all aspects of it. Like, it's funny. I don't just like one thing about it. I don't like just acquisitions or just rehab or, and I really like every process of it. There's some things that are tough, but um, I really just enjoy it. And so I'm not going to stop. You're not going to stop me. No one's going to stop me. So uh, we, we, uh, we closed on that house in Arlington and Jerry's like, man, this is pretty rough, Chris. And we were walking through it the other day, my first time, you know, we closed on it four, five, six, seven days ago and I'm walking yeah. through it and he's like, man, that's that smell, man. It's tough. And I go, bro, that's the smell of money. Yes. <laughs> you know, it stinks, but yes. it's, it's an opportunity to turn a difficult situation around, right? Like you said, yes. we're going to make the house really nice. Someone's going to come in here and say, hey, man, I'm now renting a house instead of an apartment. There's a backyard that my kids are going to be able to go uh, play in. I was I was meeting with another investor. Mm. He's got 20, 25 houses uh, here. His name's Jason, Jason McDougal. Looking him up. He's, he's, he's a buy and hold guy like you guys, Chad. We'll try to get him on here. But we were leaving our lunch and I said, well, where are you headed? And he kind of had a smile on his face. He's like, well, got a house over in Fort Worth. Man, I treated these tenants so well. They came to me. They they wanted to break the lease, but they had been so good. I said, you know what? I understand the situation. They let them out of their lease because they had taken and he shows up and he doesn't put fridges in his rentals and he decided to put one in there and they stole it <laughs> and they took uh, the oven. But with all yeah. of that, he had a, he had a smile on his face. He's like, yeah, I'm heading over to buy an oven. And it wasn't like the end of the world to him. It's like, Hey man, it's just part yeah. of my process. Yeah. And I think it's like knowing that kind of stuff, like you're, don't, you're, you're, you're not going to be surprised by a lot. You kind of expect if you, if you go in there flexible and know, some things are going to happen. Someone's going to steal a fridge. Someone's going to steal a stove or whatever. You know, if you're just like, oh my gosh, and it rocks your world, then man, you might need to rethink, you know, how you're doing things. <laughs> but I just had, I mean, I'll tell you this, this, this is new to me. I just sat down my, one of my tenants who's been with me for a year, maybe a year and a half. They just had a baby six months ago. He's been great, pays on time, the whole deal. He just said, hey, can you come over and just sit down and talk with us? And I said, sure, you know, let's, let's do it Monday night, whatever. So I go over there and we sit down and it gets real serious. And I'm like, oh boy, what's going on? <laughs> and they say, well, we, we, we need to move and got, you know, got pretty serious about it. And, and anyway, explains a couple things to me, but the, he gets to the, to the punch, the heart of it uh, is that they, they felt like my house was haunted. So that was new to me. Mm. <laughs> and they were telling me all these things that were going on at the house. And I, I had to keep a really straight face because, I, you know, to, to them, I, I, I don't know if they're just totally pulling one over on me or if they really believe it. I felt like they were sincere. I felt like they really believed it. But man, the things they were telling me were just incredible. So I, I just, I hadn't heard that one before. And, Sounds like uh, a new clause yeah. that needs added to the lease. You know? yeah. <laughs> this house may or may not be haunted. Are you okay with? A you should have just went ago. out to the. You should have just went out to the to the car and got your holy water and came in there and said, "Let's work through this." Oh, she said she's the wife said she's having a priest come over to exercise the house. So are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I've gone over at night and I've switched the power on and off a couple times at three a.m. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. But yeah, I, I thought I had heard just about everything, but that was kind of a new one for me. I have a buddy here that has like 70 properties and I told him that and he's like, you got me on that one. I haven't heard that before. <laughs> Pretty amazing. 
Well, yeah, wow. that is amazing. <laughs> that's unique to that's new to me as well. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I really appreciate uh, everything you've had to share, Brian. I know for anybody listening, you've covered a lot of good information and a lot of good encouragement of just how to endure when things are difficult, how to overcome obstacles and uh, keep fighting towards your vision of success. So I, I really appreciate it. Um, if somebody wants to follow you, stay in touch with you, how can they do that? Yeah, I'm on Instagram a lot and Facebook, uh, B-L-O-N-G-7-3, that's B-Long-73, or at Long Home Buyers, L-O-N-G Home Buyers. That's on Facebook and Instagram. So. Okay. So I encourage anybody thing. to, uh, yeah, stay in touch, look you up, and um, I know you are active and doing a lot of things, so yeah. definitely stay tuned. Yeah, thank you All guys right. so much. I really appreciate you, Chad and Chris, for having me on. This has been awesome. It's great to hey. talk to you guys. Proud to be with yeah. you. Definitely. Thank you, guys. Till next time. Thanks for listening to the True Wealth Investors podcast. Visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode. Be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey.